Hey everyone, thank you guys so much for checking back in. This is Health by Heather Hirsch, and today I want to talk about something y'all have been asking me about to talk about for a really long time, which is thyroid disorders and thyroid disease, and particularly how they affect perimenopause and menopause. There's a lot of little nuances and things that you're going to learn about that I think are so, so, so important. So I'm going to play the theme music, stick around to hear a word from our amazing sponsor, and then we're going to get on into it. Thanks, guys. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to Health by Heather Hirsch. From the bottom of my heart, I absolutely appreciate it. Today's episode is sponsored by a favorite product of mine, Uber Lube. I've been recommending this to my patients for years. What I love about Uber Lube is that they use a silicon base and allergies then are extremely rare. It has no added ingredients like scents, flavors, or spermicides, which are often the very same ingredients that cause irritations or reactions. It's also free of parabens, preservatives, and petrochemicals. And honestly, what I love the most is the chic glass bottle that it comes in and this nice little pump that allows you to get the perfect amount every time, plus no sticky residue. It's latex compatible and fun fact, it can be used underwater. So if you go to uberlube.com, that's U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com and use the code podcast, you will get 10% off orders on their website. I know you won't be disappointed. All right, guys, we are back. And again, today we're going to be talking about thyroid and menopause. And so in order to set the scene for you, I want to start with just basically going over some of the mean thyroid diseases and disorders that you need to know about. Without knowing about them, a lot of these things are going to not make sense, or you might be confused if you have hyper or hypothyroidism or non-functioning or functioning goiter. So we're going to start by going through some of those. Now you can think about thyroid disorders as falling under two categories. You can think about hypothyroidism, which is an underactive thyroid, and you can think about hyperthyroidism, which is a hyperactive thyroid. So to make this a little bit more standard, let's start with hypothyroidism. Now, there's lots of gifs and memes about hypothyroidism, and the reason I kind of am laughing and smiling is that a lot of women do hope, um, and I say this with all seriousness, they almost hope that they have hypothyroidism because symptoms of hypothyroidism are the things that we all can have that are vague and we wish we could pinpoint a reason why. So hypothyroidism causes sort of that slow, sluggish, fatigued, slow metabolism, hair thinning, cold intolerance that we can feel. And so if we have a diagnosis, then we can fix it. And and that all sounds great. It's just not that simple. Hence all the memes of the angry faces when you find out that your thyroid level is normal. All right, so hypothyroidism, when it's an autoimmune condition, which it commonly is, it's called Hashimoto's. 
Now, this is when your body, your antibodies are mistakenly attacking your thyroid gland. And just to back it up, your thyroid gland is that gland that sits right in your neck, a little bit below sort of where you would see like an Adam's apple if, if you were looking at a man. Now, hypothyroidism, again, is the underactivity of the thyroid gland and the antibodies that your body makes are attacking that thyroid gland. So they're not making the end products, which is T3 and T4. And we're going to refer to those a lot. Now, when you're not making those, that is where you're getting that fatigue, dry skin, colds intolerance. And again, you kind of have that fatigue and weight gain and slowing metabolism. Now, 4.6% of women have Hashimoto's in the United States, and that equates to about 14 million women. It's more common in women than it is in men, as most autoimmune conditions are. Now, if you do have hypothyroidism, the way to check this is to check a TSH and sometimes a T3 and a T4. So what the heck is the difference? Your TSH is your thyroid stimulating hormone. That is the hormone that comes from your brain that goes and knocks on the door of your thyroid. Your thyroid responds to that TSH, which is the police saying, hey, we need some thyroid around the body by releasing T3 and T4. When you have hypothyroid that means you don't have enough T3 and T4. So your TSH level actually goes up. More police start coming and they start knocking on the door and banging on the door and saying, hey, 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 we need you to release your T3 and your T4, your active thyroid hormones. And the more come because there's just not enough T3 and T4 in your body. That is actually how this feedback loop works. So to be diagnosed with hyperthyroidism, you're going to see a TSH typically above five. So, you know, I've seen anything from five to seven to 20 to 45. Okay. And you want to treat that with a medication called Synthroid or Levothyroxine to, again, give your body that T3 and T4 that you need, and then your TSH will float back down because it will sense it in your body and those TSH police officers will start going down. The opposite of hypothyroidism or underactive thyroid is hyperthyroidism. When this is an autoimmune condition, which typically it is, but not always, it is called Graves' disease. And in this case, you have the opposite. Your body is making so much T3 and T4 that the TSH are like running away. They're like nowhere to be found because they don't need to come knocking on the door. The body has enough and plentiful T3 and T4. So to when your labs are drawn, if your TSH is super, super, super low, like, you know, let's say it's 0.1 or 0.15 or really anything sort of under that, like one level of one, this is hyperthyroidism. Now, hyperthyroidism has the opposite effects of hypothyroidism. So people can feel, you know, just basically like they're on, they're very jittery. They're having so much of that thyroid hormone, which is responsible for so many of our end um, metabolism and um, and phys- physiology that you can feel uh, overall really restless, nervous, anxious, irritable. You can be sweaty, shaking. You can have weight loss. So it's really the opposite of hypothyroidism. Now, there's other reasons that you can have hyper or extra T3 and T4. When it's autoimmune, your body's actually just releasing incorrectly all the T3 and T4 into your body. 
If you have a nodule or a goiter, a lot of times actually these are benign. They can be painful. They definitely can make you feel like you have something stuck in your throat. So you can have trouble swallowing, trouble breathing, feel like your neck is enlarging, sometimes hoarseness if it's pressing on those vocal cords. Nodulars of the thyroid or sorry, nodules of the thyroid and goiters uh, need to be checked to make sure that they are not uh, precancerous or that, you know, they're not obstructing anything important in your throat. To do so, typically your doctor will check your TSH, T3, and T4. And if they're all normal, it means that they're not under or over-releasing your hormone, but then they need to make sure it's not a cancerous growth. And so typically then you would get some imaging Typically, this would start out as an ultrasound, and if it's above a certain size, then you will get a fine needle aspiration or a small biopsy for the uh, doctor to send off to the pathologist who's going to look at those cells under the microscope and rule out or rule in if it's cancerous. Now, if you need to have a thyroid removed, for example, if there is cancer or if there's a nodule or goiter that is so big that it's causing some compression symptoms, then as another reason that you can have hypothyroidism is it's, des- it's, it's induced. So if we take out part of that thyroid, then of course it's gone. So it's no longer functioning. And so a lot of times you're going to have hypothyroidism from the removal of that. And that's why a lot of people will take one of those uh, thyroid medications like Synthroid or levothyroxine if they've had radioactive iodine to destroy cancer, or if they've had surgery to remove cancer or remove a nodule that was compressing their neck. And lastly, just to round out sort of your education on thyroid disorders, there's also a condition called thyroiditis. Thyroiditis is a very interesting condition that is often actually caused by an inflammation of the thyroid gland. Typically, when we think about this, we think about a viral inflammation. And what will happen to the patient is uh, traditionally they'll have some hyper symptoms. So they'll feel anxious and they'll be losing weight and feeling like they're getting a lot of stuff done. And then all of a sudden it will go into this hypothyroid where they start to gain that weight back and they feel sluggish and fatigued and normal. And then after a little bit more time, let's say about maybe four to six weeks, they start to return to baseline. So thyroiditis is very important because often when it's diagnosed, we're unclear if that's what it is. And so sometimes monitoring it or watching it, especially if it's after a viral infection, it can be the right answer as opposed to treating it right away. And just a side note, another common postpartum condition is postpartum thyroiditis. In fact, I had a wonderful patient um, who happened to have this condition. And, you know, it's confusing and it can go misdiagnosed because moms often are worried and they're not sleeping and they're running around and breastfeeding and losing weight. Uh, But when she came in, she was starting to have palpitations. So heart palpitations are definitely a later and more worrisome sign of hyperthyroidism. So we did need to control her symptoms. And then because she was breastfeeding, she was worried about taking medications. And so I decided to monitor her symptoms very closely and follow her TSH over the next six weeks. And just like I had predicted, she started to have hypothyroidism. So she was a little bummed. She started to gain her weight back. Um, And then eventually after the six weeks, everything all leveled out. So that is a little bit about thyroiditis. 
Now, I wanted to dedicate this podcast to talking about thyroid and perimenopause and menopause because they definitely have some similarities and they definitely uh, can be interlocking, meaning they're closely related if you have a thyroid condition. Now, very from a bird's eye view, a lot of times that people confuse perimenopause or menopausal symptoms with a thyroid condition. Because if you just sort of Google up palpitations or sweating, um, one of the things that Google is going to tell you, because they tell you a lot of things, is that you might have hypothyroidism. So many people go to their primary care doctor and, you know, ask to be tested for a thyroid and it comes back normal. Hence the memes of the angry lions and angry cats when your thyroid comes back normal, because we're hoping maybe that is the reason we feel fatigued or we're not sleeping or we're gaining weight. So these symptoms can be overlapping, particularly if you're in perimenopause. Perimenopause is the time leading up to menopause. So it's when the estrogen and our ovaries is starting to decline, but we're still making squeaks and peaks of some estrogen. We're still ovulating at times, but it becomes less predictable. Perimenopause can last one to 10 years before your final menstrual period. Not commonly is it that long. You know, you think 10 years, oh my gosh. But yes, it can be several years. So these symptoms overlap. So one of the things that I do is reassure my patients that even though you're feeling these things and it's not your thyroid necessarily, this could be perimenopause. After we exclude other important diagnoses that could be causing sweats, for example, prediabetes um, or other really other important things. Now, I will then check along with the TSH and a T3 and a T4, an FSH and an estradiol level. If you're perimenopausal, your FSH is still going to come back on the lower end of the spectrum. And normal for menopause is really anything over 35 or 40. That's going to be menopausal ranges. And under 35 is really going to be perimenopause or premenopause. But it is interesting to track these over time. So a snapshot in time of your FSH and your estrogen level is just that. It's a snapshot. But you can start to maybe form a pattern over time and follow those, particularly if the thyroid is normal. So I want you to know these symptoms definitely overlap. And sometimes when we realize perhaps maybe these are more perimenopause, we gain fatigue, sluggishness, irregular periods, then thyroid, sometimes we will treat with uh, hormonal options, either postmenopausal hormone therapy or maybe birth control pills, or again, which I always, always say by addressing the, the biggest priority for my particular patient. So I want you to know these symptoms can coincide and they can seem a lot like each other. Now under the next point is that if you are a woman listening to this podcast and you have a thyroid condition, thyroid conditions can worsen menopausal symptoms. Now there's not a ton of research on this area. There's definitely a study um, that if just that with thyroid disorders, if if it's not followed very closely, if your thyroid isn't titrated correctly, it can worsen those menopausal symptoms. And of course, hot flashes, anxiety, weight gain, exactly, it can exacerbate it. And we don't exactly know why. But one thing that we do see, we see an association anecdotally and in research that if you have a pre-existing thyroid condition, you tend to have more or worse or longer or persistent menopausal puzzle symptoms. So it is really important to know like, ah, I have a thyroid condition that might make my menopause transition a little bit harder. And it doesn't mean it's going to make it terrible, but knowing that is going to keep you really, really well prepared. Now, here's a very 
common scenario. If someone's on Synthroid or Levothyroxine, which again, I said 14 million women have um, treated hypothyroidism for, you know, the two major reasons are autoimmune or they've had surgery or radioactive um, iodine rendering part of their thyroid inactive. When you're losing that estrogen and that estrogen is sort of going up and down and up and down much more sporadically than when you were menstruating in your premenopausal days, that changing in estrogen level can really alter the amount of thyroid or synthroid or levothyroxine that you need. So a lot of women in their 40s find that all of a sudden, say they've been on 88 micrograms of synthroid or whatever it is, they've been on a very staple dose of synthroid for so long, all of a sudden they're finding in their 40s they're having to adjust it a lot, and it's because of the fluctuating estrogen level in perimenopause. And that's why, you know, in my opinion, it can definitely exacerbate perimenopause slash menopausal symptoms because it does take so much effort and time to keep tweaking and adjusting that dose. And, you know, you could definitely get it great after a good three months. You feel like you're now in your hundred and you're feeling great. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, an ovulation out of nowhere. It can really throw off your symptoms if you don't change that TSH dose to match the right TSH level that you need to feel your best. So it definitely throws a wrench in a lot of people's perimenopausal plans. Now, another place you see this is in pregnancy. In pregnancy, your estrogen levels soar. They go really, really high. And very common, we need to adjust people's Synthroid medication. Typically, we need to increase it to make sure their TSH level is optimal. And an optimal TSH level is typically somewhere around 2.5. And during pregnancy, this is so important because we want to make sure that the developing fetus is getting the appropriate thyroid hormone as well for his or her development. So because estrogen and thyroid fight for sort of the same protein that they drive around in our bloodstream in, in pregnancy when we need to, when we have higher levels of estrogen, we almost need to give more of that levothyroxine, that synthroid, that T3, that T4 to have the same effect. And the opposite kind of happens when your estrogen starts to decrease. You actually can get uh, often away with lower doses of your synthroid because at that point as you're making less estrogen, you're the synthroid that you're taking may be rendered too effective and you may be getting symptoms of hyperthyroidism. So it is a delicate balance. Again, I do just kind of want to reiterate that I do find that a the most sort of effective TSH level is around 2.5. So very commonly as a menopause specialist, if my patients are on a thyroid medication, I will need to dose adjust. And often I will do this if they are taking a hormone replacement or hormone therapy, or if they just simply find they actually don't want to take estrogen and they actually do better by just adjusting their synthroid or levothyroxine dose. So the optimal TSH level for a woman in perimenopause, menopause, who is feeling symptomatic is around 2.5. All right. So I kind of want to now bridge into some other really important aspects of thyroid conditions, which is that I mentioned a majority of them are autoimmune related. And if you don't already know this, this is a really interesting women's health fact. Number one is that autoimmune conditions are more common in women. Our immune system has evolved a little bit more than men's, which means we may have made a little bit more mistakes along the way. Um, but number two, when you have one autoimmune condition, there are 
often maybe another one or two autoimmune conditions that you have. And I think this is really important. And not that I necessarily think you need to go searching for it, but it is really helpful to be thinking about it. Now, in terms of my specialty, which is menopause, one condition that we believe is highly correlated with autoimmune antibodies is premature ovarian insufficiency, POI. In fact, I did a whole podcast on POI a few podcasts earlier, and you can go ahead and listen to that if you are concerned about POI or thyroid, how thyroid interacts with POI. But POI often is seen in my patients when it's diagnosed with chronic or coexisting or newly diagnosed thyroid conditions. And so where one autoimmune condition is, another may be lurking. So I want you to kind of think about what are the other common autoimmune conditions that you and your doctor should have on your radar. So I jotted some down and this list is by no means exhaustive, but this these are really important to think about. A common one that people think about is celiacs. Celiac disease is an autoimmune condition that your body attacks uh, gluten, which leaves you with an inflamed gut. Um, now, a lot of people don't necessarily have autoimmune celiacs, but they may have gluten adversity. That means when they eat gluten, their body just kind of doesn't absorb it or digest it as well as other foods. But celiacs is an autoimmune condition, and there is autoimmune antibodies that you you can have your doctor check for in your bloodstream if you say already have a thyroid condition or another autoimmune condition or premature ovarian insufficiency. Another common one to think about is pernicious anemia. Pernicious anemia is where you can't absorb iron correctly and you can have symptoms of being anemic. And anemia can make you feel sort of, again, the same symptoms of sort of sluggish, slow, not feeling like yourself, brain fog. And so pernicious anemia is another one that your doctor can definitely and easily test for. Other common ones are rheumatoid arthritis, and rheumatoid arthritis typically compared to osteoarthritis is a little different in that it's bilateral, and there's typically some swelling of your joints early in the morning that tend to get better over the day as you start to use your joints. Osteoarthritis, on the other hand, is wear and tear. So you think about, you know, your knees, your hips as you get older and you gain weight and you use and use and use. That is osteoarthritis. That's not an autoimmune condition, but rheumatoid arthritis is. Other autoimmune conditions are things you may have heard of like lupus, and those are very concerning diagnosis that does take a lot into account. Um, and there's a lots of other autoimmune or connective tissue um, disorders that may be autoimmune related that go along with having one autoimmune condition. And also, I do tend to see this in families. So in terms of the family history and its inheritance or its genetics, there's still a lot to learn, but a really good family history is important. And thinking about this, you know, if you think about your sisters or your parents or your aunts or maybe your children, you know, if you do have autoimmune conditions, you may have gotten them from one of those family members or you may pass them down. And again, autoimmune conditions typically about four times the amount in women that we see in men. So I know you guys are so proactive about your health and I just wanted to throw those at you just so you can expand your mind just to think about some of the things that maybe you should be on the lookout for. 
Another nuance that I wanted to teach you about in this podcast is if you are on Synthroid, Levothyroxine, or another thyroid medication um, for hypothyroidism, and you start on hormone therapy or even birth control pills, you shouldn't have your doctor recheck your thyroid levels in about four to six weeks after. About 20% of my patients will have some altering of the amount of Synthroid or Levothyroxine that they need to have an optimal TSH of around 2.5. So I always take that into high consideration for my patients when I'm seeing them for consults for menopause or perimenopause and I'm using hormone replacement therapy. It doesn't, and this is a really good point, doesn't matter if you are perimenopausal or menopausal, if you're on a thyroid medication when we start you on hormones, whether it be at birth control or um, postmenopausal hormone therapy, I always check a TSH about four to six weeks later. And actually, I will do that yearly as well. And anytime that a patient reports symptoms that aren't well controlled, not only will I tweak or think about adjusting that estrogen level, but also how is that thyroid playing a role? Because they very much are very, very interactive with each other. Wow, I really jam pack a ton into these podcasts. So I hope that I'm not giving you guys too much information. But I think one of the nice things is you can always re listen to it and take notes if you need to. All right. Now, the last part I want to get into is thinking about managing your thyroid condition and your menopause long term. And if they are inappropriately or incorrectly managed, this could have some really deleterious effects on your long term health. For example, if you have an untreated hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, but particularly hypothyroidism since it's more common, and menopausal symptoms, this could lead to a really high risk of, say, osteoporosis and osteopenia. Now, we know that more women will suffer an osteoporotic fracture than they will from heart attacks, strokes, and breast cancers combined, and the cost of healthcare for osteoporosis is in the billions, so somewhere between 18 and $20 billion. But both of these things can really act synergistically to, to decrease your bone density and hence set you up for a particularly troublesome either hip or spine fracture. So you definitely don't want to miss both of those. Another thing they can increase your risk for is heart disease. And heart disease is the leading cause of death in women in the United States. So um, untreated or a mistreated thyroid and also, you know, menopausal symptoms, severe hot flash combined can really increase your risk for cardiovascular disease. So that's why it's so imperative that both you and your doctor are thinking about looking at you globally and addressing some of these big symptoms that um, people come into the office with before we get the diagnosis of either menopause or a thyroid condition or both. So they definitely um, can can make life a little bit troublesome, but the good news is you're getting all the education that I hope you need to start to just make an informed decision with your physician. All right, guys, I just kind of want to summarize everything again, which I kind of like to do at the end of my podcasts, just to kind of give you the big picture overview. Thyroid conditions are really common and they are commonly autoimmune with hypothyroidism being diagnosed in 14 million women in the United States. And when you have hypothyroidism, you actually have a high TSH and low T3 and T4. 
Now, hyperthyroidism, on the other hand, when it's autoimmune, is typically Graves' disease, and these can give you sort of that irritable, agitated, overstimulated type of symptoms, and your TSH is just going to be really, really low because you have too much T3 and T4 in your system. Both a thyroid condition, particularly hypothyroidism, and perimenopause and menopausal symptoms can sound familiar and similar. And so taking a step back and thinking about if it's a thyroid disorder and treating that, or if the thyroids are normal, thinking about it being a perimenopause or menopausal symptoms and treating them accordingly is really important. Also, if you have hypothyroidism in perimenopause that can cause a lot of fluctuations and changes in your TSH level, which is really frustrating, but it has to do with the change estrogen level in your body as you're going through that transition. It's important to try and optimize your TSH by having it as close to or around 2.5 as you can. If you have an autoimmune condition, think about other autoimmune conditions as well. And don't forget how important it is to make sure about your bone health, heart health, vaginal health, brain health, and all the women's health things to feel your best and live your best midlife because that is the purpose of this podcast and me educating and me talking and bringing shedding light on all these really important things. Well, thank you guys so much for listening into this podcast. I just love recording these for you. I'm so excited to see this podcast gain subscribers and gain leadership. So please subscribe and leave a comment if you like this podcast. It's so, so, so helpful. And I'm going to be doing a new segment where if you leave a comment, I'm going to give you a shout out. Um, So feel free to do so. You probably have a really good chance of being featured on next week's podcast. Thank you so much. Again, you can also find... um, my YouTube videos by going to YouTube and typing in health by Heather Hirsch. And I have a whole bunch of um, YouTube videos there that you can also binge watch. They're pretty fun. And I apologize if my little kiddo's voice are deep in the background of this podcast. As you know, we are still quarantining, especially here in Boston. And so she's talking in the background a little bit. So I hope that it didn't bother you too much. Thank you guys again from the bottom of my heart for listening in. I love your support and I really do thrive off of it. If you have other ideas of other podcast episodes you'd like me to do, feel free to send me a comment. And again, you can find me on Instagram at hormonehealthdoc and you can also find me on Twitter at HeatherHirschMD. All right, guys, stay safe. I know it is tough out there, but I'm praying for better days as I know we all are. All right, bye.